You might be a little bit surprised this morning at the kind of message that you're getting, but that's part of the reason why I chose this message. I wanted it to be a surprise. I'm reading from Job chapter 39. I don't know, did you get the... Oh, very good. Very good. Job, the, the, the beautiful passage of Job 38, 39, 40, and 41 is just loaded with meaning for us even today. Casey spoke about the need for lament. And if there was ever one man in this world that had reason to lament, it was Job. And that's why I chose this passage, because it also helps us understand that when we lament, we're lamenting to the God who loves us and who created us. So I'm reading from chapter 39 where God speaks these rather fierce-sounding words from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. Oh, we must have 39. This is not chapter 39. <laughs> That's okay. If you, if you can find it in your Bibles... The book of Job is just prior to the book of Psalms, so it's not hard to find. And you get right at the end of the book, and you'll find chapter 39. And it's a very, very long passage, so I decided to read just the last part of it, beginning at verse 13. It's all about uh, nature all around us that is made by God, and God is speaking of that nature to Job. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but they cannot compare with the pinions and feathers of the stork. She, that is the, the ostrich, lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a sense, of, a good share of sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Do you, Job, or we, do you give the horse his strength or clothe his neck with the flowing mane? Do you make him leap like a locust, striking terror with his proud snorting? His, he paws fiercely, rejoicing in his strength, and charges into the fray. He laughs at fear and afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against his side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, he eats up the ground and cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, he snorts, aha, he catches the scent of the battle from afar and the shouts of the commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread his wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? He dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is his stronghold. From there he seeks out his food. He de his eyes detect it from afar. 
his young ones eat feast on blood, and where the slain are, there is he. Now I said these words are addressed to Job, and the reason why they are addressed this way, we need to understand, because otherwise this passage might not make as much sense as it does. God is speaking to Job because Job has been very, very actively speaking somewhat against God because Job wants to know why in the world he is suffering so much. It's just day after day he's been bombarded from outside by his friends and by everything else, not explaining what the real reason was for his suffering because no one knew. And they loaded more pain on top of him instead of helping him and comforting him. And so he cried at the, towards the end, like in chapter 31, he says, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Yes, he wants God to come down and explain why he is suffering so much. Now, in response to this charge, God finally, at the end of the book, comes to Job and reveals himself in a very marvelous way. These words are so overpowering that at the end of that, hearing all that Job says, I have nothing else to say. I don't know what to say. I just trust you. In these words of God, that he wants to consider Job, that Job, he wants Job to consider, excuse me, there's a wonderful, wonderful explanation about God. And sometimes, because we don't read this passage very well, we miss it. We miss the extent of the greatness and the glory of our God. There is perfect delight in these chapters. God is so filled with the beauty of the things that he has made that he expresses his delight in them. It's, it's his great pleasure. And that's the title of the message I want you to share with you this morning. God's delight in all his creation, all his creatures are a delight to him. And that's why they should be also to us. God delighting in his creatures? Yes. And there are many different aspects of that. I chose just four of them that will help us perhaps dig this out a little bit for ourselves today. The first one is wonder. What's wonderful? It's, it's awesome. The second one is the beauty, the beauty of it all. And then the sheer joy that that brings to whoever begins to understand it. And, of course, God had made it, so he understands it very well. And then, finally, the wisdom that is behind all that, the power of the mind, the ability of God's heart and mind and soul to create all that he has made. Let's begin with the wonder. Wonderful. I love that word, wonderful. What's wonderful? It, stuff that makes us wonder, makes us be amazed. Well, in a sense, God says that his world that he has made, all his creatures are full of wonder. We should wonder at them. We should be amazed at what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we can touch. 
what we can share with one another. It's amazing what is there. Absolutely amazing. And he has a whole list of them in these chapters. For example, the great magnitude of the earth itself. Well, we know it's just a little, little spot on the great map of the universe. But it's very big, isn't it? <laughs> the world is not getting smaller. It's always been this big if we just pay attention to it. There's the great sea and all its power. Even Lake Michigan sometimes can amaze us at the power that is there. Danger, too, because it is so powerful. And yet it is contained. We know exactly where we're safe when we're not in the water. Then there's the power of snow and ice and storms that can stop us in our tracks. We stop everything because of a snowstorm because we know how dangerous it is out there for us to be. Because God reveals his awesome power in that too. And then there's lightning and thunder and tornadoes and stuff like that. And we, again, must be amazed at the power of it all. But there's also mystery, something that we cannot quite fathom. One of the ones that I really like is the, the mystery of water. Water, one of the most important elements in our creation for us. We are mostly water to ourselves. So water is very important to us. We cannot imagine life without water. And on earth, that's exactly true. Maybe in the whole universe, I don't really know. But where there's water, there can be life. But water is very strange in this way. We experience it in many different forms. There's dew, there's rain, snow sometimes, ice, fog. Or in the wintertime, we can actually walk on it. Because water has one marvelous characteristic, that is, when it gets colder at the freezing point to 32 Fahrenheit or zero Celsius, it expands, unlike all other liquids. It expands, and therefore it becomes ice, and it rises to the top of the water, so we can actually walk on it. Amazing. This is wonderful, wonderful. But there are so many of these, and we have to... We have to say, think of ourselves, why is it all there? Why did God do these things so that we might begin to understand? Well, he wants us to be filled with awe because he is the author, the, the artist who made it all. Now, you know, you know about artists. You, they have a certain characteristic, don't they? If you see a picture by Van Gogh, you probably know it's Van Gogh even before somebody tells you that if you know a little bit about Van Gogh, or Rembrandt, too. That's true of God's creation. If you know something about God's creation, you begin to see something about God. Ah. So we have two sources of knowing God, this book and the things that he has made. Both talk about God and tell us who he is. Now, there are different messages involved, but the idea is the same. There is revelation out there that helps us understand something of how great is our God so that we can remember that as his creature, as his children, we should be filled with his praise. 
and his delight. Because he delights in the things he made. He likes them. He enjoys them. He tells us that right at the beginning of the Bible, remember? And God saw it, and it was very good. Not just good, but very good. He was delighted by what he had made. So here's our first challenge. Wonder, amazement. Amazement that's simply some of the things that he has made. Because once we start on them, there's an unending list. Let's begin with birds. I don't know if you're familiar with the fulmar. Maybe you've never heard of it. It's a very interesting bird. It's related to the albatross, and it, it spends almost all of its life on the sea. Never comes to land, except occasionally when it wants to make a nest and have little ones. Then it has a, actually a place on the, earth, on, this, on the land. But the rest of her life, his life, uh, on the seas. Now, this is strange because that bird needs water to live. So it drinks the sea water. But you know that's not very good for you. Sea water is salty. So what happens, and this is, this is the strange part, what happens is that when that bird drinks the seawater, she first desalinates it and then swallows. So she's okay. Something like the, uh, the mangroves in Florida who stand in brackish salt water, and in order to get rid of the salt, they expel it out of their leaves, and the rain comes and drops it back into the water below. Wow. Really? Yeah, really. Amazement. Let me give you another bird. You know that's a little bird. It's one of the smallest ones around. It flies up from South America and sometimes visits us here in Michigan. Have you ever seen them, the little hummingbird? Now, did you know that there are 200, I think it's, no, 319, 319 species of hummingbirds in North and South America alone? Really? Yes. But the interesting is they all do something similar to, each, to themselves. There's little bigger ones and little smaller ones, like the Cuban hummingbird is only about that big. Looks like a bee, because you can hardly distinguish it from a bee. But the hummingbird is interesting because of the way it uses its wings. Now, I told you about the, the fulmar and the albatross. They have, you know, like this. Like the, the big heron that flies around here all the time. You see him going like this, right? Well, you don't try to do that with the hummingbird. He doesn't go like this. He, go, he goes like that, and you don't even see it. It's interesting to note how fast he can do that. When he is just flying, the speed of his wings are 55 beats per second. 55 beats per second. But when he is hum located at your feeder or in the flower, when he's hovering like this, the speed goes up to 75 beats per second. Ooh. If you have, that's why you can't see his wings, right? If you, can, you lose sight of them because they're going so fast. But here is another one. He has an interesting habit of when he um, gets a sense that there's a female around. He makes a, a, a sport of attracting her. So he does this. He flies up 
into a U like this, up and down, back and forth. In my backyard in Spring Lake some years ago, I actually stood about this far away from one that was doing that by a bunch of red flowers. And you know, when he does this, he stops here and he stops there. But in between, when he's doing this, the speed of his wings go up to 200 beats per second. Unbelievable, I say. Wonderful. Yes, it is. That's why he's such a lovely bird. And we are amazed at who that bird has become at the hand of God. That's why I brought some interesting things for you this morning. This is a shell. Ah, what's, it's not even alive. It's dead, right? Yeah, of course it's dead. There's no animal in there anymore. Inside of this animal shell was a snail. And it came on the beach, and somehow it came into my hands. <laughs> but I had, this is one of my, the biggest ones I have. But it's a very well-known shell because people make trumpets out of that. But notice the shape and the form. It's, it's what all shells do. They keep twisting and turning and twisting and turning, and then they finally complete their house and then die and leave the house behind. Why did God make such an intricate house for an insignificant snail? Here's another one. This is the, uh, I think it's called... Uh, hmm. I call it the red mouth helmet, but uh, there might be another name attached to it as well. But notice the coloring of the, of the opening of this shell There's, and all the beauty on the back, too. This is used by many, many people around the world for jewelry. They make jewelry out of these. They're very, very beautiful. Why did God do that? A house? We, we never even see those houses because they're under the water. And most animals don't get to see these because when they're under the water, they're covered with all kinds of stuff so that they're hiding themselves. Even though all this beauty is there, nobody sees it. But God does. He made it. It's one of these things that is just unbelievable. I'm going to show you in the, in the back there's a, a display table with some more of the the shells then after the service. If you want to know some uh, answers about questions you might have about them, I'm willing to be there and explain some things. But on the table there is one little, not so big a shell, and it's called a lightning whelk. And it's only found in the area of Florida or the Caribbean. And it's a very interesting shell. Mr. Bootsma right away recognized what was the difference with that shell from all the other ones. Now I want you to look at that. It's called Busican Contrarium, and it's on the table, and I'll show it to you if you want to find it. There's something wrong with that shell, so I think we would say, but it's not. It's not wrong. It's right in God's eyes, but it looks different in our eyes. Why? Well, I better give you the secret, because otherwise you might not understand what I'm saying. If you look at the shell, this is where he begins his life. This tiny little dot in the front. That's the first part of the shell. He starts turning, right? You notice how he's turning? This way. Always, always this way. Every shell does it this way. This one too. There is the beginning. And here goes the circle. 
round and round and round until he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and he comes up with a place that's big enough for him to hold his mature body. But Bushikan Contrarium doesn't go this way. It goes this way. <sighs> Backwards. <laughs> Counterclockwise. And it's one of a very, very few, maybe less, less than a half a percent of all the shells in the world do that. All the other ones go the right way. We say the right way. God says, hey, don't you want to laugh about it? I am delighted by that. And he is. And so should we. The second one that we want to think about is beauty. The beauty that is out there. And God mentions that in, his, in the words to Job. He says, look at the sky. Look at the sky, how beautiful, how great and marvelous it is. There's the Pleiades and Orion and all, that, all those stars out there and the beauty that they create for you to look at night into the darkness of the sky and you see the lights that I have made. Or the sheer strength of a donkey, a wild donkey, that runs all over nature and nobody pays any attention to him, but he is strong and healthy because I created him that way. Or like what we read this morning, the soaring eagle in the sky. What's more wonderful to see when that eagle starts on his trip down and you can hardly follow with the eye because he goes so fast down to where he is catching something from the earth or from the water. I'm sure that many of us know lots of beautiful things in God's creation. You experience them every day. I'm not sure how much attention you pay to them. There's the sunset and the sunrise, the moonset and the moonrise. There are the stars in the sky, the planets that appear here and there, and then all of a sudden they're gone and then they appear on the other side. These are all things of beauty, great beauty. And there's no, really no end to it. Many things that are beautiful to us, and they're, of course, they're, most people would acknowledge them, are flowers. I don't know if you've ever spent much time on flowers. Uh, fathers, this is Father's Day. <laughs> Maybe mothers should be included. It's a good time to think about taking your kids out. Go for a walk. Go into the park. Walk on the pathway. There's all kinds of them around here. And go and look and see what you can find in terms of wildflowers. Right now, you'll see all kinds of um, daisies everywhere, for example. But I would challenge you for, to find one flower that you should be able to find if you're looking carefully, although this year is not very good because it's been so dry. But it's the yellow goat's beard. You ever heard of it? It looks like a dandelion, but it's not. There are thousands of dandelions, but only once in a while you'll find a yellow goat's beard. And it's usually on the side of the road where it's not been mowed, or on the path, like the railroad, old railroad path, you walk on that, you'll probably find some not too far from the uh, station on the, on the middle of the path, very close to that. There, we saw some Friday morning. A very interesting flower. They get much taller than the day, than the, uh, uh, dandelion, and they, they're, when they go to seed, the bulb is about as big as my fist. Beautiful all by itself when it goes into seed. It's a very beautiful flower, but very rare. 
Uh, we saw a lot of them in Minnesota, and we did see more on the shores of Lake Michigan, but here it's hard to find. Most of the time, the people mold them, and then they, they didn't realize that they mold the nicest flower around <laughs> also. But it's just idea of go, go look for something that you say, hey, that's beautiful, and pay some attention, because God wants us to do that. There are many beautiful things in big things like mountains, streams, waterfalls, and whatnot. There are also many beautiful things in small things like the intricate web of a spider that he makes for, to catch his flies or whatever. Or the sounds, the sounds of a bird, a song we call it, but it's usually uh, he's saying something to his neighbor or to his enemy. Um, you, you know the red-winged blackbird that sings in the, in the reeds, and what is he? He's warning you, don't get so close to me because I don't like what you're doing. And he lets you know that he is there. So there's sounds, there is eyesight that we can use to, to see. You, sometimes it's a smell, sometimes not so pretty because when you find a dead skunk on the road. You smell that too. <laughs> but you know that there's so many things that all our senses can feel and understand. Even when you're just holding one in your hands and you, you go inside and you see how very beautifully designed it is to protect the shell from the outside world. We can feel it. Mystery is another part of that beauty. God God fills the world with beautiful mystery that opens our eyes to how great he is. I'm just thinking of all the different things that make up the atoms and the molecules in the world and all the things that science has discovered about that, and there's no end to it. So one of the things that, as fathers and mothers, we should be sure to steer our children also to learn their chemistry and their physics when they, if they're able to in school because that's an, that opens the world to us. And don't be afraid of science, because science can never disprove that these things are God's. This third one is joy. And I think this delight that I'm talking about is that it's, it's filled with a, a kind of a joy that we know that this is our God who made all this. It's not just some strange feature of nature that we're talking about. We're talking about the creativity of the God who loves us in Jesus Christ, who sent his son so that it could, this could be preserved for us, for all eternity, all that he has made. Joy. Job 38 and 40 to 41 talks about that too. God mentions, for example, look at that deer giving birth to a set of twins in the wilderness. And these beautiful twins grow up and become beautiful colored deers. And God says, without the help of any human being. No human being is involved. This is God's doing. Or he mentions the horse. We read that. The horse and all his speed, capable of the, of the dangers of going into war and not being afraid because we have trained the horse to be able to do that. Or that silly, silly ostrich. Is that beautiful too? Well, I think she is. 
She has legs that are just unbelievable. They can move and better not get a whack of one of those legs because you're going to feel it. They're very strong. But yet she doesn't do much of else that belongs to a bird. She doesn't fly. In fact, she can't. She lays eggs in the, in the sand somewhere and never and leaves them there. She doesn't do a very good job of being a bird, but she sure can run, so God says. She can run faster than a horse. Really? Yes, she can. And sometimes she does. So what is God doing here? You see what God is doing? He's, he's saying to us, take a look at the beauty of it, not only, but also the delight that some things are not the way you expected them. There are a lot of surprises out there for us in God's creation. Sometimes he does very strange things. The Busikan Contrarium is one of them. I mean, why is this shell going the wrong way? Well, God smiling at you. Do you think that I have to make everything your way? Or can I do it my way? <laughs> and it makes, makes it, we should be able to smile at that and have some fun. So, creation is filled with joy, laughter, and fun everywhere, all around us. Sometimes we smile at the antics of an animal. You know, you watch these two little uh, chipmunks going down and having a little uh, fist, uh, fist, maybe have a fist fight for some little spot under the tree, or some, a couple of squirrels running after each other. And then you see that squirrel going on that high wire across the road. Have you seen that? He never falls off, does he? Well, maybe sometimes he does. I don't know. But he is one of those things that all, all of a sudden you see, that's a funny animal walking across an electric wire to get to the other side because he's too lazy to go all the way down and back up again. <laughs> Joyfully, we can smile at God's nature because he wants us to. He is smiling when he sees his creation. He is filled with joy, and so should we. Actually, there's some little problem that is in our universe that is very hard to explain, and that is time. We sang this morning, time is in his hands, right? He, he holds time, beginning and the end. And when you start looking at what is time, what makes time, where does time come from, what does it do to us? We wear watches and we have clocks and they keep record of how much time we have been here or there. Sometimes time goes very fast, doesn't it? For me, the time of a sermon, it goes too fast. I can't say everything I want to. <laughs> but for maybe the kids who are here, say maybe you should go a little faster. For old people, time goes way too fast. Our time, when you're getting to my age, 85 and more, time goes really fast. You can't, can't control it. Well, when you're a teenager, sometimes time goes very slow, especially when you're bored with a lecture in school or a, a problem that you have to try to solve. But time does go fast or slow, depending on where you are and what you're doing. But the amazing thing is that our clocks measure time as if it's always going at the same speed. The clock doesn't always go at the same speed. Did you know that? Yeah, that's right. Time does not always go at the same speed. If we would take a two 
identical watches or clocks and placed one of them, they, they're both keeping accurate time, okay? You put, put one of them way up on the top of a mountain, maybe Mount Everest, or even on the top of a big building with a tower, way up on top, and put the other one down in a ravine somewhere, many meters or uh, feet down, and then wait. See, as the ter world turns, what happens to those two watches or two clocks? Well, I'm not sure how many days or how many months we would have to wait to see any results because the results will be very minor. But you will find out that the one on top gets slow. The time is behind compared to the one on the way down there in the deep. That one's going fast. And we here are kind of in the middle. That's so? Yeah, it is. Because the speed of the one on top is much greater as it goes around with the earth than the one in the bottom. Because it's farther away from the earth's center. And therefore, the speed at which the clock travels, or the speed at which we travel, depends, makes, it, makes time go slower the faster we go. Or faster the slower we go. Maybe that's why old people think the time is going so fast because we're slowing down so much. <laughs> I don't know. How can you explain that? Where, where, is, where is God's hand helping us understand that we are creatures of time? We, we do not control that either. We're, we're kind of captured in that bubble of time and we do not know exactly what he wants us to do with all that. So it's better for us to just smile about that and say maybe God will explain all that one of these days, one of these days, when time shall be no more like it is now. The th last one that I want to talk about is wisdom. Now, you know all about that because wisdom, the wisdom literature is full of God's wisdom. And this book of Job, too, has got many passages of wisdom. One of the things that God tells us that he created his world in wisdom, uh, in uh, Proverbs 8, we, we read, for example, that wisdom says, I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. God's wisdom is part of his creation. It tells us something about how it is possible that he did all this? Because there is indeed a living relationship between the, all the creatures that God has made and God. And it's the wisdom of God that lies behind all that. And that's why we can be assured that God's creation is not going to fail. He's not going to let it go. Now let me give you a very quick example. If you bought a lemon at the car dealer and it's always breaking down and by an, a year or two or three or so down the road, you say, oh, this, is, this car, is just, I got to get rid of this car. And so if you happen to get into an accident with it, that's, that's just junk it because it's not worth fixing anymore. But if you have a very delightful, expensive, glorious model of Cadillac or maybe some other... You know, 
infinity. I know whatever other cars you might think are really to catch me out. Then you say, well, well, wait a minute. I paid a lot of money for this car. This car has great value and beauty. So if you get a scratch on it or if your bumper hits something and it's broken a bit, you say, we better fix this. Well, God says about his creation, I made this thing. I made all this, and it's glorious, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's joyful, it's delightful. I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to say I'll just put this on the scrap heap of the universe and start all over again. No. Jesus came to redeem all of God's creation, including, of course, mankind. Therefore, we need to say, Lord, in your wisdom, we don't know. We don't know what you're going to accomplish when the world comes to its end and we enter into the period of time, eternity, where you will reveal to us what you have planned all along in the new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. But I'm convinced that we'll be filled with the same marvelous, wonderful, joyful, delightful creation that he made in the first place. Therefore, we can be assured that God will not abandon us either because we are part of that creation. And more than that, we are the ones, maybe only the angels are like us that way, that can understand something of this marvelous creation that he has made and join him in the delight and the joy of knowing what it is. So we have two reasons, two reasons for being very attentive to God's creation. And therefore, there's two warnings also. There's two warnings that are very clear in scriptures. One, and I hope you put this deep in your heart because as Christians, sometimes we are tempted by the, all this, you know, the, the whirlwind of saying, well, we, we should honor nature, and nature becomes a kind of our, our God almost. You've got to protect nature and all that kind of thing. We don't do all those things because nature is so wonderful, but because God is so wonderful. It's his creation. It never becomes our idol. It may not become our idol. It may not become our goal in life because he is our goal. But the other side, the other side is if this is God's creation, then we may not neglect it, we may not abuse it, we may not destroy it, and we certainly may not pollute it. And we are guilty probably of doing all of those all the time. And we as Christians should be on the forefront of what we may call the war against damaging what we see out there in God's creation. Things that make it worse instead of better or things that call death to take action instead of life. Because God loves this creation, and he loves us, and he wants us to join him in the delight that he has. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for. It's amazing. It is so overwhelming sometimes that we do not quite know where to begin. But you will enjoy us when we begin with just the little things, just the things of every day. When we see a beautiful bird or when we hear a wonderful meow from a cat or a mooing from a cow, 
that we can say, Lord, you made these beautiful creatures and you made them alive and you made them for us to know. When we are busy with the things of life, help us to lift our eyes to the heavens and to all the many things that you have made and say deep in our hearts again, how great is our God. How wonderful you are, Heavenly Father, our Creator. And we thank you especially that we may know you also as the one who saves us from ourselves and from our sin and from all that would destroy all the beauty that is there in your creation. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.